This podcast is supported by JBS International Incorporated through a grant award from the Health Resources and Services Administration, HRSA, of the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, HHS, with 0% finance with non-governmental sources. The contents are those of the author and do not necessarily represent the official views of, nor an endorsement, by HRSA, HHS, or the U.S. government. For more information, please visit hrsa.gov. Welcome to another episode of Rural Roads, the R-Core podcast. I'm your host, Aisha Tillikamar, and thank you for joining us for part two of Dr. C's four-part mini-series. On today's episode, we'll talk to Dr. Melinda Campopiano, also known as Dr. C, about jail-based MOUD. Thank you for tuning in. Today, we are joined by Dr. Melinda Campopiano, Senior Medical Advisor at JBS International, commonly known as Dr. C. Dr. C, thank you for joining us today. Great to be here. Perfect. So similar to part one, we'll go ahead and jump right in. So despite being the gold standard of treatment for opioid use disorder, medications for opioid use disorder are not necessarily available in all carcinal settings. Why is that? And what are some of the reasons offering medications for opioid use disorder in carcinal settings? Why is that vital to reducing overdose? Those are two really great questions. I'll try to talk about the first one about why are these not more available in um, carceral settings. So first of all, it's important to remember that jails and prisons are two very different types of settings. The people that they that are there and how they're structured are different. So I'm going to talk about jails, basically, especially small rural jails. A large portion of the population will, will circulate through there in three to ten days then there'll be a smaller portion that actually serves out their sentence there. If it's less than a year, a lot of times the jails have to retain those folks. They don't get transferred to prison. And then, of course, there's people who are waiting for hearings and trials and things. So in this context where you have a population that's somewhat in flux, it can be very difficult. And I'm just putting myself in the shoes of the person who's like trying to run their jail be very difficult to get a medical assessment and done on somebody and a treatment plan and medication delivered in a quick turnaround like that when you've only got somebody for a few days. And I think the cost benefit from the point of view of the jail and their budget, it doesn't look favorable to them. One of the other things is they understandably have a concern about introducing what's a, a controlled substance into their population because Jails and prisons are already not exactly drug-free environments, okay? So now that they're going to be administering it to people and they have to make sure that it's completely ingested. And so there's logistical considerations. People don't always have medical staff who are licensed to administer medications. So a, a lot of stuff like that. And then the other thing is I think there's a lot for a long time been a disconnect between the jail is being inward looking and not feeling that they have really any responsibility for what happens to people after they leave the jail. And that's where things have really started to change, is that we know that overdose, your risk for overdose after a few days of enforced abstinence while you were retained it is huge. And nowadays, mortality, fatal overdose is just so common. Uh, and so in the jail environment, now we're like, okay, we have to do something about this risk. And so the healthcare in the jails are starting to look at oh, what's happening to people when they leave. Now, 
just a quick word about prisons. Prisons tend to think that this person is going to be in here for a long time and they're not going to have that much access to drugs. So why should I put them, go to all the trouble of setting up a treatment system and delivering these medications to them potentially for years and years. And so the again, that's the kind of the lens that they see it through. There's some validity to that. But even coming out of prison, though, after years of this sort of enforced abstinence without any treatment, people die at very high rates after leaving prison due to overdose. So the length of which you're prevented from acting on your addiction, the length of time doesn't really have any benefit on reducing mortality when you leave that controlled setting. So what the jails and prisons might be thinking about as they are trying to figure out why should why is this my problem? Why should I be doing this? Why should I put my budget on it? And so the transition that we're in is, okay, people are dying. So what are they having to think about with the medications? Now, I think acceptance for injectable, long-acting injectable naltrexone was higher early on because people, they might detox in the beginning of their jail stay with or without benefit of medications to relieve their symptoms. And then you can put them on this blocker and then they go out in the community and have this blocker and it's not controlled substance and so on and so forth. So it it appeals to people who are trying to provide healthcare in a correctional environment and who have the attitude that people with addiction are making a choice to use drugs or they're using drugs to feel good or better as opposed to it being a medical condition where people don't necessarily have control over their behavior and they're using drugs to feel normal, not necessarily good. So that's where we're in the middle of now. Now we're starting to see some acceptance for the opioid medications, buprenorphine especially, yeah. And the lowest bar, I think, is when jails are able to say, okay, you're on buprenorphine out in the community, we'll just keep you on it. That's like usually the functionally the easiest step. And then the next step that probably has greater benefit for the community in which they're operating is being able to start people on buprenorphine in jail while they have them and then connect them to ongoing care in the community. That's the ideal level that that many jails are starting to think about or and some actually are doing. So anyway, you asked me two really big questions <laughs> and I hope I covered them. You did. Thank you. So what would you say are the benefits of providing medications for opioid use disorder, individuals with opioid use disorder who are incarcerated? Again, just from the point of view, if I were the person responsible for operating the jail, I would say more of my inmates are going to be, their cravings are going to be controlled, their withdrawal will be controlled. So there's a certain, there's benefits for the environment, the milieu in your facility, if you have people feeling better and not completely racked with cravings. Also will make it easier for other chronic medical conditions, including co-occurring psychiatric issues to be managed. If you can get the addiction and the related thought processes and physiology manage so people feel okay. You might be able to get somewhere with more effective management of psychiatric symptoms due to other conditions or medical conditions that that the jails are and prisons are responsible for treating. So that's a healthcare management of the person overall and the milieu, the environment in your facility will be improved if you can get people treated and stable. 
And just from your knowledge, what challenges do correctional facilities face in implementing MLUD programs for people who are incarcerated? There's a lot of misinformation and stigma about addiction. So that's a big piece. And let me try to say something else about that. The belief that people are using drugs because they choose to or they want to, and that it makes them feel good or like better than I feel on an average day, right? You can resent that a little bit. And then now they're in jail because we've criminalized it or they created a crime to facilitate their managing their addiction. And so now our jails and prisons are tend to be punishing. These are settings where rehabilitation could take place. That doesn't tend to be our emphasis right now. So why would I help this person feel good and better when we're supposed to be punishing them? Yeah. So... There, there's there's a little bit of that. And then, like I mentioned earlier, I repeat everything, but seeing controlled substances into your facility is just runs counter to, to how people think about how to keep it safe and orderly in the facility. And then there's just budgetary and functional things like not having a social worker, not having a nurse full time, not having or the contractor that's providing your health care in your jail doesn't have that service or your contract will become more expensive if you want that service offered. And then you have to go back to your funder, which is your state or your county or whoever, and ask them for more money and justify it to them. There's a lot of also these like regulatory, legal, logistical barriers that you need a lot of motivation to persist at and overcome. And how would you say MLUD programs in jails differ from those that are in like community settings? They don't have to be that different, but uh, I think one key thing is obviously if you're getting buprenorphine at your primary care office or your behavioral health clinic in your community, you're going to get a prescription and you're going to have your medication and you're going to take it daily when it's convenient and you're going to have control over that. You're not going to have control over that in a correctional setting of any kind. They're going to have to give you that. It's all locked up. They're going to have to watch you take it. They're going to shine a flashlight in your mouth and things like that. Make yeah. sure, yeah. Yeah. So, it. Yep. yeah. And what medications are commonly used in like the jail-based MLUD programs? And how would you say they are administered and monitored? Yeah. So naltrexone, the injectable naltrexone, I think is still popular. Buprenorphine is more widely accepted. I think some jails would like to look at the injectable forms of buprenorphine because they don't have to be administered as often. So you don't have to like go get people from their unit and take them over to medical and do all that stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but those medications are expensive. They're all brand right now, and it just destroys up. You can spend your whole medication budget on injectable buprenorphine and not have any left flow blood pressure and other things that you have to take care of while, while people are dependent on you for care. So I, I'm hoping that maybe as those drugs become less expensive, that those might be more affordable and available and address some of the logistical barriers and the just administrative burdens within in jails and prisons and allow make it easier for more people to get treatment while they're incarcerated. incarcerated. Yeah. yeah. And how would you say MOUD fits into the overall approach to substance use disorder treatment in correctional facilities? If you if starting from the assumption that the correctional facilities made a commitment to treat substance use disorder of all kinds. I think to not provide medication is like tying one 
arm behind your back because it's a tool and it works and it will benefit your population as in addition to the people who are actually being treated. And if you can get them on it and connect them to the community, it's going to reduce the likelihood that this person is going to be back in your facility. So it reduces recidivism. If you if you want to treat substance use disorder you and you want to do it properly and it's not just for show or on paper, you need to be providing these medications. And I would encourage jails to look at medications for alcohol use disorder too. They can provide similar benefits, but the opioid use disorder medications, buprenorphine and methadone in particular, will reduce recidivism. And I don't see how that can be a bad thing. We talk a lot at times about things that didn't work, but it's also great to hear success stories. So what are some successful examples of jail-based MLUD programs and what makes them effective? I know the jail in San Francisco, the county jail that serves Albuquerque, I think Cook County Jail does a good job. They have a good program at the jail in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, as far as I know. I haven't talked to them in a little while. But so the idea is to just get your process in place and just use it consistently. And then the other really important thing is to connect the community. When you have somebody come in, you've got to have a process in place to find out who's treating them, what medication are they already on and just plug that in without it having to be like a big deal. And then being able to take people who are leaving your facility and connecting them effectively to treatment and all the other services they need to be successful and stay alive in the community. I think those are the two things. Is And it both are different ways of saying relationships with the world outside of your facility. And looking outward is a different, is a kind of a mind shift, I think, for folks. And we'll go ahead and end with this last question. How do jail-based MLUD programs address the unique needs of individuals with co-occurring mental health disorders or other medical conditions? I, they have a hard time addressing one at a time. And so I just think it's a challenge area to be effective at both. And I'm sure there are successful programs out there. I just don't think that we have a model can say, here's what you do. We don't have a validated model that says, if you set this program up in your jail, you're going to be able to manage people with both an addiction and a another psychiatric diagnosis. I wish I had more great little pointers to give on that, but it's, a, I guess, a growth area. We want to say, put a positive spin on it, yeah. So we thank you again for joining us, Dr. C. We do have two other episodes, so look out for part three with Dr. C on xylazine. Thank you.